Welcome to the Imposture to Unstoppable podcast, where physicians can learn how to overcome imposter syndrome and create the career of their dreams. I am here tonight with Dr. Michelle Dang. She is a board-certified anesthesiologist and pain management physician. She is also a fellowship-trained in integrative medicine. She is from Houston, Texas, and graduated from the University of St. Thomas in 2002. She then went on to earn her MD from the McGovern Medical School at UT Houston. She practiced pain management for several years, and then she noticed her patients were still suffering. She eventually found her way to integrative medicine. She is also a speaker where she talks about various alternative approaches to managing chronic pain. You can find her on social media at Michelle Dang MD and on her website, michelledangmd.com. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Thanks for being here. Awesome. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, um, my typical way to do this is just, I would love you to start from the beginning or the middle or wherever you feel most appropriate with regard to your um, experience with imposter syndrome. Sure. So I grew up an only child of immigrant parents. My parents immigrated from Vietnam on academic scholarships. So they were pretty high achievers as it was in their country. And coming here, they had to kind of reestablish themselves and uh, not quite start over, but they did have to start um, going. They, their profession is their pharmacist. My mom's a pharmacist, my dad's a dentist. And they had to basically go back through some college courses and then go back into professional school. So they've already, they had already completed their professional schooling in their country. So they had to kind of almost start over. And so me being their own, they kind of, they really stress the importance of studying really hard. And, um, you know, it's funny, a lot of my Asian friends can kind of relate that uh, we always say for Asians, the 99 is never good enough. It's always 100. And so it was always that type of pressure. And, you know, I never really felt like they did it in a way that was, um, you know, to be to be mean about it. Obviously, they need to, to be successful. But I think that was pretty much where it started just, you know, when I started going to school. And um, I went to private school my whole life. And so, um, even then, I, um, I started a year early. So um, from a very young age, I was always kind of pushed to always be such a high achiever like my parents, which, you know, I'm very grateful for them for all that they did for me and uh, the work ethic that they had um, instilled in me. But at the same time, it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? Because it's like, you know, whatever you do is just not good enough. And, um, and so um, I think going into medicine, it was always, um, it was kind of like a, almost a guarantee, like I, I was going to go into some sort of professional schooling. So for many of us um, Asians, <laughs> it's being a doctor was like the ultimate goal. And so even, even then when I achieved that goal, it still felt like <clears throat> it wasn't enough, you know? And um, so that, you know, it was, it was something that was, that was from a very young age was, was when I started kind of feeling that imposter syndrome, like nothing I ever did really felt enough, even when I achieved the ultimate success. Yeah. And I think that's really the core of imposter syndrome really is this concern or this fear that I am not enough. Mm-hmm. So at what point did you kind of recognize that this internal dialogue of not being enough and imposter syndrome was something you could separate from? I think it was, it it was actually pretty recent, which is, um, you know, I think it was 
you know, I went through uh, some, some personal issues. I went through a really difficult divorce. And um, I think that was when I was kind of felt like I wanted to take my life over. You know, um, I was already practicing medicine at that time. So my background is I'm an anesthesiologist, pain management physician. And for a while, I just felt like maybe this was not what I really wanted to do. And um, I think once I was in practice for a couple of years, that was when I kind of felt like, okay, I need to figure out what exactly I wanted to do with my life, not just with my career, but just with my life. And at that time, I had a three-year-old. And um, I really wanted, I think that was when I, I just decided, you know, I, I want my son, who's now 11, um, turning 12, I want him to, to realize or to know that he can be whatever he wants to be. It doesn't have to be, you know, a certain profession or marry a certain type of person or whatever it is, you know, I, I wanted him to have the, to feel like he had a lot more choices than I felt like I had. And I know that sounds really, um, you know, interesting coming from me as, you know, a physician, but it's just like, like to me, it just felt like my, my choices in terms of what I want to do with my life felt very narrow, you know? And, um, so that was, I think that was when I felt like, and so that was within the last probably six or seven years. And, I kind of felt like I went through an early midlife crisis because <laughs> I was trying to figure out what it was that really truly made me happy and gave me purpose outside of medicine. Because for my whole life, that was all that I felt like I needed or wanted to do was to be a physician. Once I achieved it, it just felt like it just wasn't enough for me. I, I went through a divorce as well in medical school. And that was a I didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't the full shift that I needed, but um, it was like the starting point of how did I, like, what, how did I get here? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think it, it's important to recognize that those huge monumental things that can be really devastating really can serve a purpose for, you know, the greater good. It doesn't feel like that in the moment or even in the first few years, but um, I think that for many people, it can, that a divorce or something devastating can really kind of turn the tides. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's not like nobody ever wants to go through a divorce. And I don't really talk about my divorce that often. But um, and this may actually be the first time I even say anything on a podcast. But um, but you know, I'm remarried now to a wonderful man. And my son is is wonderful. And it's it's a different life than than maybe my parents would have imagined for me. But it's it's, you know, I think when you go through your life kind of um, feeling like, um, like everything is, everything that you do is never enough. It just feels, it just, it's, it's such a tough, tough life to kind of live. Like you can never, you can never achieve that certain level. And then it's just like dealing with being such a high achiever and perfectionism, all of those feelings, like you kind of have to unravel that. And it takes so long. Like, um, you know, it's just, it's really hard to imagine that, like, if you've, if you've lived 30, 40 years of your life feeling that way, how, how difficult it is to kind of get past that type of feeling. Yeah. So how did you do it? Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm still working on it. Um, I think, you know, I was really burnt out. And I think that's probably a common theme with a lot of physicians as well. I was burnt out in medicine, burnt out in my specialty as a pain specialist. Um, And I'm still working on it. And I was just thinking about this before we started recording that, um, you know, 
I, I try to tell, tell my son, my son is kind of has my, my genes in the sense of he's, he wants to make hundreds all the time. And I tell him it's okay. Like he gets very anxious and I'm like, it's okay. You don't have to make a hundred as long as you try your hardest, which is something that I probably never heard my entire Mm -hmm. life is, is, is you do your best, you know? Mm -hmm. So before I started recording with you, I was thinking, you know, perfectionism is so hard to kind of get over. And I feel like finally now I'm, I'm imperfectly imperfect, you Mm -hmm. know, um, perfectly imperfect is what I meant. Um, and I'm okay with not being perfect and, um, not, not, not having, you know, um, just, just, yeah, I mean, just not having the career that my parents thought I wanted to have. So how I went about doing it is um, I went through, like I mentioned, the divorce. I went through this period where I kind of read everything I could read about mindfulness and Buddhism and yoga, and I kind of reinvented how I wanted to practice medicine. So I'm not in, and I'm not in a traditional pain management practice any, any longer. And, um, I created my own kind of pain management consultant practice on my own. And this all like took a long time for me to get here, entering out and doing things that I actually enjoy doing. Um, you know, I teach now I um, started a fit female physician group on Facebook, which I really love doing. I started, and I talked to you about this before I started, um, this, I uh, started recording a podcast. So I have my own podcast now on women's health and wellness. Um, a few years ago, uh, I did a fellowship in integrative medicine. So I really enjoyed that fellowship. So I try to incorporate that as much as I can. I try to talk about integrative medicine as much, as much as I can. I think I realized that, you know, um, I don't really want to go back and do another residency or anything <laughs> or another fellowship. You know, I, I, I felt like I, you know, been in practice for almost a decade now. And so I just have to kind of um, figure out what works for me. And I'm, I, I, I'm loving what I'm doing now. And I know it may change in the next couple of months or a couple of years, but I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, you brought up a, a few, a lot of good points. And I'm, I want to talk about a few of them. So the first is imperfectionism, which, you know, on the, on the podcast, we talk about it a lot, because I think so many physicians deal with it and people in general. And mm-hmm. it's the concern, you know, and what has worked for me, and the, and the important thing is that perfection is not an actual attainable goal. And it's in medical school and through training, it's like per- perfection is the it's it's perceived to be the goal mm-hmm. and there was really never a mention of the fact that it's actually impossible and all of the negative things that a goal of perfection is causing like imposter mm-hmm. syndrome and burnout and anxiety and worry and overwhelm and all of these negative things and i sat back just recently like in the last week and asked myself like what positive thing like what positive outcome did perfection ever like this goal of perfection ever get me and I couldn't think of one thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I could attain, oh, I went to medical school and I became a doctor, but perfectionism didn't get me there. You know, mm-hmm. my ability to deal with failure and difficulty did. And I think that so many of us, if we can achieve something great, like, you know, medical school or surviving residency, we assume it's because of our perfectionism goal. When in fact, if you really look at it, the reality is that that's not what got us there. That was actually in, it, what inhib- inhibited us and probably made us miserable while doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's having someone to help you kind of separate that fact. And then the recognition, like you went on to say, which I think is so beautiful, that 
you know, we are more than just doctors. And I think for so many of us, we think that that's our only identity. Mm -hmm. And we're able to give ourselves permission to explore our interests and maybe that are tangential or completely outside of medicine. It makes us a more fulfilled and effective doctor. So is that how, is that what your experience was when you were allowed yourself to, uh, you know, do this yoga and integrative medicine and, and your design and your, and what you enjoyed, did you find that that made you better at your job as a clinician? Oh, for sure. I mean, there was a time period probably within the last year where I was like, this quick cl- clinical medicine. It was a source of so many discussions in our household, in my household. Um, and, and it was really interesting just because it was like, I was so burnt out and I just was so unhappy. There were so many factors with the state of medicine as it is today, being employed, dealing with chronic pain patients, ha- dealing with, you know, employees and staff, and then of course the pandemic. And so it was, I, I almost felt at one point during the pandemic, I just said, this is a sign that I just need clinical medicine, but I didn't realize or recognize that I was just burnt out and I needed to find a balance. So balance is kind of one of my favorite words. And I felt like I was on the cusp of figuring it out. I mean, I even had a physician coach and I had a therapist and I was like, you know, how can I kind of reinvent medicine or my career into something that I really want? And it actually took me quitting or leaving my last practice in October of this past year and taking a complete break from clinical medicine. I mean, I was still doing um, some clinical work, but not just from home and not actually seeing patients. And it was probably around the holidays. I had a lot of personal things going on that I just said, you know, maybe... I actually miss seeing patients and it took me taking that time mm-hmm. away uh, for me to realize that, you know, I, I am a good pain management physician and I can, I can actually still help people in pain management, but in my own way. And so I had already had a, a PLLC set up and I just said, okay, let me just find out how I can just see pain management like see pain patients in the hospital and not have to deal with a clinic, not have to deal with being employed, being my own boss, setting my own hours. And it's actually only been a few weeks since I've been doing it. And I've been seeing consults here and there sporadically, but it's like really fun for me now. It's like, Oh, I got a consult. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, and so I'm still doing some other work from home, but it's like, okay, I can go in and actually be in the hospital, wear my white coat and be my own boss and, you know, answer pages or answer calls. And I mean, it may get old after a while, but still at the same time, it's like, I actually enjoy it now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, And that's such a good lesson because there are probably many physicians who are in a place where they're sick of everything. And it's because they feel like there's no, they lost their autonomy and there's no control and all the bureaucratic crap in the electronic health record that it's like you lose sight of what you really went into medicine for. And sometimes it does take a break or something happening to make you realize like there are parts of medicine that I enjoy. And I love that question that you asked yourself, like, how can I carve out this career for myself? I think that we need to be asking ourselves that earlier, like as a resident, I think that that's what we need to be teaching residents. Like, anything is available to you in medicine. And let's start thinking about what that looks like for you instead of like you and I went through when we're already attendings and we're like, well, shoot, like I thought this was going to be the be all end all of my life. And then we're wondering what, what's next. 
Yeah, I think, you know, it was challenging for me because at the time after I finished my fellowship, I felt like I had, and it was kind of goes back to, you know, earlier on in my childhood where I felt like I had to follow this path. After my fellowship, I felt like I had to stay in the city where, you know, all my family, all my friends were just because I had at that time, a two and a half year old, three year old son. And so it was like, I felt like I had no choices and I felt like I was quite limited. And I think, um, and I've heard it from fellows, graduating fellows who are looking for a job. They say, well, we have to stay in this particular city. And it's really hard because it kind of limits you and limits your options. And so for a long time, I mean, for the first five or six years that I was out of fellowship, I was employed, not in great situations, just because I felt like I had no choice. And I think, you know, the, the point is we, we all have choices and um, you should not feel limited by, and I know it's hard because you know, people will say, well, I have, I have to stay in this one area. But I mean, if you can open your eyes or open your mind to other possibilities, then um, there may be many, many more options. And the other point I wanted to make was when I took my break back in October to kind of figure out what I wanted to do, I could have, you know, on the other side of things, I could have said, you know what, I really just figured out, I just don't want to do clinical medicine anymore. And that's okay. And I, th- I think that, you know, we shouldn't feel like um, there's only one option. And uh, so, I mean, it turned out fine for me for now, but maybe a year later, I'll just figure out, well, I'm really enjoying doing this integrative medicine, acupuncture stuff, all this stuff that actually brings me much more joy. I'm much more passionate than actually going and rounding and seeing patients. And I think that's okay as well. It's this, it's the growth mindset that is so important. It's like, I can make a decision for me today or this month or this year. And it's not the be all end all. Like I can, I'll continue to evolve. And I think that um, many physicians kind of lack that flexibility. Like there's some rigidity there, like this is my life. And I think it's important to realize that we are all evolving and growing and we're going to find new interests and to allow that, like that kind of that uncertainty about the future, like who knows what I'll be doing in five years. It might look different than, than what I'm doing now. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 And I think um, to your point earlier on, when you said like, you know, being a physician or being wrapped up as that's your identity, I think what I've discovered is that it's really not my identity. I mean, I, that's my career. Um, I am good at it. And it's funny. I don't like to say that I'm good at being a doctor, which mm-hmm. is funny, right? Cause it's just like, like, yes, we have achieved so much. We can say that we're mm-hmm. good doctors. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, you know, I, I love all the other things that, that I do. Those are all parts of me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think it's that allowing of that, self-recognition, like I am good at what I do, that makes you better at it. And I think that many physicians and even me for a long time was hesitant to say that because of this, especially as women, I think there's a concern of, oh, you don't want to be too arrogant or brag. But I think that that's what's missing a little bit is like, I am good at my job and I've worked hard to get here. And that, and kind of owning that space for yourself, mm-hmm. it does, it only makes you better and it makes you more comfortable with other confident physicians and women. And I think that that camaraderie and support is what ultimately is going to help us in the long run. Mm-hmm. And I think um, the other point I wanted to make was we, we talked earlier about, you know, failing mm-hmm. and I think you have to know success. You have to know, um, what is it? You have to know 
in order to know success, you have to know failure, right? In order to be happy, you have to know what sadness is like. And so I never really like to share um, all of my failures because I failed a ton of times, Mm -hmm. but I think it really helps. I've, I've um, done some sessions with other women who are terrified of failing their boards or terrified of failing, you know, this, this or that. And I tell them, you know, straight up and I'm comfortable with it now that, you know, I'm done with all of my certifications. I failed my boards. I failed. Mm -hmm them once and then I passed a second time. And, you know, I had so much stuff going on and not to say that that's an excuse or anything, but, you know, I was going through residency pregnant and mm-hmm. I was having a really challenging time studying and focusing on studying. And it's okay to say that you failed, you know, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I'm still board certified. And, yep. um, and so, you know, when, when people are so stressed out, I mean, it causes them so much anxiety, these mm-hmm. boards and cost so much money. And they're just like, you know, just don't want to fail. Don't want to fail. I just, you know, you just have to say what's going to happen if you do fail. Mm -hmm. I mean, does it make you a bad physician? No. I mean, you're going to pass Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you're going to still be able to practice. You're still going to be able to make money. Um, And so it is just the idea of failing is just so terrifying for so many people. But I just think, you know, now at this point in our lives, it's just like, okay, so what? You fail. (laughs) Right. You just pick yourself up, you try hard and you'll, you'll succeed the next time. Yeah. And I think that that's so um, amazing that you, you are willing to share that because I think that there are probably some physicians out there that still wouldn't. And I think that on social media now you, you can find some um, physicians kind of talking about their failures or so many of us have I mean, we all fail at some was one. It's once it's something or another, right? I mean, mm-hmm. no one's going through medical school perfect. I mean, maybe someone is, but that means there's something else going on, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that's not normal. Normal, right? <laughs> and I think it's that recognition that failure is part of it, and there's no the shame and the shame and the humiliation, the stigma almost of of what that means. If that can be separated, instead of saying like, there's no. That's not, there's, there's, there should not be any shame or humiliation. It's just like, when am I going to, where's my failure going to be and just expect it and then work past it and use it as an opportunity to grow and to continue to learn. Um, But I think it takes people talking about it, which is why, like, I've kind of challenged myself to talk about all the stuff that I fail at on a daily, hourly, (laughs) you know, basis, because it helps so many to just feel like they're not the only one. Yeah. And it's funny because, um, so my son right now, he's in sixth grade, he's in virtual school right now. The other day, um, maybe this was a few months ago, he took, I don't know, it was a quiz or something. And I think he maybe made a 60 or 70 on it. I don't remember exactly what it was. And I didn't, I was upstairs working and I came downstairs and he was bawling (laughs) and he was like, I made a bad grade. And he was terrified of me being upset with him. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so not mad at you. And he was, he was like, he was just crying and he would not stop crying. And I just said, I said, you know what? It's totally fine. Mm-hmm. You know, just figure out what you did wrong and, and, you know, learn from it. And he was ter- He was upset for, first of all, of the bad grade, but second of all, because he thought we were going to be really upset with him and we were not. And, um, and then he, he kind of was like, he, he stopped crying and I think the teacher gave him extra points or whatever, and he's still making all A's. And so Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, I really don't want, I, because of everything in my childhood growing up and, you know, really being, um, you know, told that I had to make perfect grades. I really, really don't want him to have to go through that. And so, 
we try to stress to him every time he, he's so anxious about his grades. I just tell him, you know, you just do your best, you study, you do the best you can. And that's totally fine as long as you try. And I mean, he's a very bright kid and, and he's totally fine. But, you know, I just, you know, I think it's really important to, to kind of, if you have kids really, really stress to them that, you know, it's not about being perfect. It's not about achieving, you know, the best that you can. You just try really hard and, um, and you'll, you'll be successful as long as you really put in the work. Yeah. And ever since I read Mindset by Carol Dweck, I've really kind of tried to be careful about the choice of words. And my kids are young, like I have a six, three and a eight month old. So I'm not in really in the midst of that schooling Mm -hmm. yet. But, you know, when they're working on something, my older one, probably the most is saying like, instead of saying like, oh, you're so smart, you're so good at this. And instead of saying like recognizing that you're trying really hard, you put a lot of effort into that and rewarding the effort and not the grade. And then other thing is like, if they're doing puzzles or something, I love this for, for everyone. If they're doing puzzles or working on some sort of thing that seems like they did it really fast, instead of saying like, oh, you're so good at that, say, that must not be challenging enough for you. And I love that idea. Like if it comes too easy to you, or if it seems too easy to a kid or even to myself now, I'll be like, oh, that wasn't challenging enough for you. And really kind of making the challenge um, more appealing instead mm-hmm. of scary. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that idea yeah. for kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of different tools and techniques you can do for kids, which is great. Yeah. And I think being aware of it, like, you know, exactly like you said, instead of saying, you know, what I learned from my childhood and that pressure that you felt and how you're fueling, using that to fuel, you know, a different message for your son, which makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny because my parents, whenever they see him, they still kind of tell him, you're so smart. You should be a doctor. And I'm just like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Although, you know, if he wants to, it's totally fine, but I don't want him to feel that pressure. Like, you know, it's not really not the end all be all. There's so many different careers. And, Mm -hmm. and honestly, I don't think that he, I think he has more of an engineering architect Mm. type of mind than than a physician, but who knows, you know, who knows? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time um, tonight, Michelle. Was there anything else you wanted to bring up before we end here? Um, no, I mean, I would love if, if you, if you want to connect with me, I always love to yeah. hear from people. So I am on Instagram at Michelle Ding MD, and I would love it if you want to check out my podcast. It's the women's women's integrative summit on health and wellness. So it's the wish well podcast and my podcast episodes are on Instagram as well at wishwell.health. But thank you so much, Kristen, for having me on. Yeah. You're thank you for being here. And I will make sure to leave all those links so people can find you easily. Perfect. Thank you. All right. You're welcome.